Hi, I'm Troy Richards. And I'm Daniel Mawson. Welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. I'm the senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Jackson, Missouri, and Daniel's our worship pastor. Our church is reading through the Bible in a year, and on this podcast, we examine highlights from this week's reading. We talk about the passages devotionally and try to answer questions people have shared with us. Our hope is that you'll discover how amazing God's Word is and how enjoyable it is to read for yourself, which is the key to understanding Jesus. Hello and welcome to the Understanding Jesus podcast. My name is Daniel and I'm here with Pastor Troy. And I'm here with Josh. (laughs) And we're here to answer your questions about the Bible or something. I don't know. We're here to talk about Jesus. We are. We're coming to a greater understanding of Jesus as we read through the Word of God. And uh, this past week's reading, because we were reading through the Bible together, and um, we read this past week Nehemiah. The entire book of Nehemiah was in... Uh, last week. In fact, if there was this pastor I knew who was following along with us, he said he had never read Nehemiah before. Nice. Uh, and it's like, so if you've been doing our Bible, read, Bible reading, you would have knocked it out in a week. In a week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the um, And then we read uh, Psalm 88, Psalm 89, uh, and Proverbs. We kind of camped in 21, but we got the chapter 22 of Proverbs. You did. And, but if you think about it, there's only 31 chapters, so we are like got to spread out nine chapters over the rest of the year, so Ooh. that's kind of how that works. Which isn't that uh, long, though. It's not. Uh, it's but if you just read two verses a day, it can yeah, drag I mean, it out. Can, <clears throat> we can get there. Uh, Acts 25, 26, 27, 28, which is we close out Paul's missionary journeys, and then we get into the book of Romans. Romans. Woo! My least favorite book of the Bible. I'm just what? kidding. It's everyone's favorite book. Everybody loves Romans. Yeah. That, is that a... <laughs> that's a show, right? It's a show. Everybody, Everybody loves, loves Romans. Romans. Oh, uh, that would be funny. <laughs> I was really confused. I was like, I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, my. Everybody loves Romans. <laughs> it's uh, a Christian spinoff. Good <laughs> <laughs> Angel puts it out. That's right. That's you never funny. know where the episode's going to go. But it all works together at the <laughs> <laughs> For those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> Well oh, It's like it's it, the story centers on Peter and his relationship with his mother in law <laughs> after she came back to life. Oh, oh man. Wow. That's kinda of funny. It's kinda of good. Yeah. Anyway. Whoa So we're gonna we're going to. Uh, we've got a. We're gonna. We we all got gleaned something from yeah. the reading that we wanted to share, and uh, hopefully we uh, will say some share something that you didn't get to see in the reading. And if you didn't do the reading at all, at least now you can um, deceive your friends by sharing the thing. You can just take whatever we share and share it with your friends, so they think you're knowledgeable. That's right. We'll be back. All right, we are back and here to talk about God's Word. Uh, I think Josh is going to start us off. That is correct. And before I hop in, I just wanted to say I love the books Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Um, I was just telling um, these guys at the table that it just reminds me of like modern day novels written from first perspective and just like the story arc of just each individual story is just super cool. So I really enjoy reading them. Um, But yeah, so today my first little... um, devotional moment kind of comes from Nehemiah 1 and um, it's right after uh, Nehemiah gets told some news um, that Jerusalem's walls broken down and um, this is what 
what it says in verse four. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and and keeps his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I and my father's house. And I just love this like raw moment we see um, Nehemiah in. There's so much emotion um, and it's really real when I was reading this. Um, It was, you know, he's filled with with so much grief um, for the people of Israel. And um, so he, even in that though, even in that grief, his first words were, oh Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. He's reminding um, himself of of the truth of of who God is. He's reminding and reaffirming who God is to himself. Um, And I just love that. I love how he reaffirms that truth to himself and reminds him of the foundations of who God is. Because in those moments when we are just you know, stricken with grief or whatever it may be, we we lose sight of who God is and we begin to just feel things and then feel, well, well God's angry or, or whatever it may be, here, 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 here. And then we believe the truth that we've come up with in our head. Um, but in reality, Nehemiah, here he goes, and grief says, you're the God who keeps covenant, you're full of steadfast love. And in that moment, he's reaffirming, okay, that's who he, who he is. So I can now say my request to him, like, listen to me, open your eyes and and know that he will listen to him. And I just, I just love that part and that beautiful understanding of prayer right there and just crying out to help for God uh, and not forsaking who God is, but seeing him for who he is, reminding and reaffirming who he is to himself so that when he prays, he now understands and has that foundation of this is who I'm talking to. I'm not talking to some God who doesn't care about me. Yeah. I love that. I love that. The setting the setting the posture early. Mm-hmm. And even Jesus does that, right? With his prayer yeah. Father in heaven. Yeah. Um your will be done. Be like even mm-hmm. the Son of Man like hum, puts himself in a place yeah. before the Father. And I think it's so important for us, like you said, because we tend to elevate ourselves in prayer, mm-hmm. I think, a lot and say, you know, come at it from a place of entitlement or if not entitlement, then at least um, maybe a more mm-hmm. upright posture than we should be holding uh, before an almighty God and yeah. um, a bended knee and, and bent heart is um, you're probably going to have a little bit more success in your prayer life. Yeah. Mm. Well, and like you just see um, Nehemiah going into confession right after that. It's like when you when you when you see who God is, what's the first thing you do? You just realize your your unrighteousness and your unholiness. And at the end of verse six, he says, even I and my father's house have sinned. So he just goes into confession of, you know, just being, you know, feeling guilty um, of the sin that they've committed, Israel as a whole and himself, and confesses that to the Lord. And I just think it's mm. such a beautiful prayer from Nehemiah. Yeah, I think, it, I think it also shows that a person has to really have, when, when somebody's dealing with their own personal sin, it really help. It really hinders you from being able to intercede for others, or mm-hmm. or to feel the weight of corporate sin, uh, and being representative of that. The uh, we the tendency we have is to think that once we get righteous, we feel righteous. But right. this, but really, once we learn to walk in repentance and learn a life of holiness, it just makes us more aware of the nature of sin in the mm-hmm. world we're in. We become we become very aware that I'm a part of something that uh, that I do need to be interceding for. We we feel it gives us the the ability. It gives me the ability to bear your burden. 
and to see the sin weight yeah. that is upon you and to, and, to, and to see my own culpability in that, see the fact that we're all fallen and because of our fallenness as a people, as a church. Like, like for instance, if I'm, if I'm committing sin, personal sin, I don't really pay attention to the sin of the church. Yeah, I'm yeah. just thinking about my own personal sin. But so I really have to get past the me, mm-hmm. uh, and 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 you know, and when you get past the me, it's not like oh now I'm blissful. Yeah, it's right. like oh now now th- now I have all this now, bigger <laughs> thing to contend with. Now I have all yeah. these bigger things I should. Right. And and uh, and and really, and then it it kind of helps illuminate that wow I was completely useless before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I needed to be doing this all along, and and this was always here. Well, to the point where I think a lot of Christians reject even the existence of corporate or national or whatever yeah. like big group sin right yeah. to where it's you know it they hyper focus in on individuals and ignore mm-hmm. like um systemic sin yeah. And it's, yeah it's a it's a problem that only when you get out and deal with your own sin can you even recognize and i'm yeah. i'm certainly i'm in the place of nehemiah for sure because i'm i'm like oh wait i've sinned mm-hmm. let me do with this yeah yeah well and i mean it continues like Paul always tells us to even pray for the people in the church, like for all the saints, what is the breadth, length, height, mm-hmm. width, and depth, and to know love of God yeah. surpasses all understanding. And then says it again in Ephesians when in Ephesians six, he's like, Hey, pray for all the saints, like a continual prayer. But I mean, even just like you like we're talking about, like this national sin and understanding yeah. like prayer has power. And I think that we just don't realize that because we've played it off. I used to have a little teddy bear that when you press its hand, said a prayer, and it was like, well, I prayed. You I know, prayed. it's like... Well, and I think we're quick to crucify the one who points out the, the group sin. Yeah. You know, oh, we're, yeah, because yeah. it's like you're telling me that I'm part of something bigger than I've taken responsibility for myself. Um, and I think we don't like to hear that. So generally, the ones who are at the point where they've mm-hmm. dealt with their own sin and can recognize the, the big group issues, then we tend to not like that if yeah. we're not alongside them with them. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, and, and Nehemiah's role is kind of pastoral in, in a lot of ways as he takes on the governorship and so forth, but um, but it's parenting and pastoring are so similar in that as a parent, when you share things with your kids and you say, hey, here's what, here's what we really all need to be doing and here's what I really want you to get, and then you see your kids absolutely don't get it and they don't <laughs> change at all. It's like, it's because they say things like, is this what you want me to do or am I doing this in a way that pleases you or makes you happy? Is this what you were looking for? And it's like, no, I was really looking for that you wouldn't be doing it for me or to make me happy yeah. at all. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's like that yeah. you're doing it because you think this is the right thing to do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I think that this is just a pastoral thing that uh, it grieves me is during imitation uh when you make an appeal to people to come to the altar and, and to come before God and so forth, the lack of response, people, uh, people always come and apologize to me for the lack of response. And oh I remember, a, and it's like, and, and I'm like, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want you to tell me you're sorry. Yeah. I, I said, what grieves me is that you don't see that there is, you don't feel the weight of that response. Yeah. It's like you get to a point in this split, in this message and the, the word is supposed to, inside of each of us, mm-hmm. bring us to a place of, oh my goodness, I don't think I can leave here with this burden that yeah. I'm, I have right. to lay this down before God. And the fact that you don't feel a burden means that it doesn't, you're not really hearing the word or yeah. sensing the word as, as God would give it. Because when you become, a, when you feel the weight of the sin of the people around you, when you feel the weight of, of, of and part of the advantage I think I have when you're in the pulpit is you see it. You're looking out at the faces and the mm-hmm. weight that are on people, and you're like, and you, and you can sense that there's a, um, 
this this great need, this heaviness that you wish God would intervene for, and, and the weight of your community, and, the, and and it all starts to pour in. And I get it. We've we've kind of uh, shielded ourselves from it. We've kind of insulated ourselves from it. But here you have Nehemiah, who's really in a very comfortable position. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's pretty set. And so you, you would think that he's a person who really doesn't have anything. Why would he want to leave the capital? Right. Why would he want to leave Susa? He's got all everything just catered to him. He's in the best position. You can. I'm always amazed at how God shows favor to the Jewish people and all, and well, to yeah. his people. Period. And puts them in these positions in foreign countries. You know, and and here he is. Yet he is not satisfied to be in this position. He realizes that uh, that his people are still undone. They are not where they need to be, and he can't stay in that role. And I and I am like that. Uh, I wish that that I mean that's my prayer for the church is the church would get to that place that we're like we we can't dwell here. You know we we can't stay in this place. We have to move to where God mm-hmm. wants us to be yeah. and be his people. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah and. And speaking of Nehemiah's position, that's kind of where my where my Nehemiah study was was going this week. And how, you know, in the in early I think it's chapter two, he is um, we get this uh, this information that he is he went to the king's presence sad, and he he's like I never go to the king's yeah. presence sad. I'm always you know this I'm always the same consistent person. And then I was sad, and he noticed yeah. what was going on, and then it led to this. Um, this opportunity for him to accomplish God's work, but what what I thought was was very interesting and very good for us to take from that is just the discipline of consistency. Um, where, like when you've like being who you are, being like a consistent man of God or woman of God is so important if you want to enact change mm. when the time comes to mm-hmm. enact a change, right? Because when you've established a way of being with somebody, it's obvious when God's doing something unique through you. But yeah. like conversely, if your life is marked with like inconsistency and emotional up and downs, it's going to be really hard for others to notice what the Holy Spirit is doing and what's just like your temperament, right? right? Yeah. And and I, th- I think Jesus's life was marked with consistency. And Jesus's life was was really he he had habits he 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 spent time away um, connecting with the father he fasted he prayed he did all these things he interacted with people he dwelt he uh, was with his disciples and in the times when he had an emotional moment those times we still talk about today yeah. those those moments when he cried have such impact those moments when he got angry have such impact today because they weren't the norm they were he was a man marked with consistency uh, he didn't let the things that happened in the world that were frustrating or whatever that that would get to normal people he wouldn't he didn't let them get to him except for the times when it was strategically and and spiritually vital that he have an emotional response to it uh, so I'm I'm just I'm looking at that and I'm I'm recognizing things in my life where you know how oh, this person said this and it frustrated me this person did this and it made me mad and how do I respond in those moments do I respond in ways that are cons- are consistent even keel uh, do I have a discipline of consistency or do I have or is my life marked with emotional reactions mm. to things or people and so it's it's kind of just some introspection and I think I don't know I see it in Nehemiah I liked it so I'm gonna try to yeah. 
Yeah, and I and one of the things I remember uh, one commentary years ago reading that uh, also he was a cupbearer, so that means he was the one <laughs> who drank uh, the king so and ate the king's food and so forth. And so the sad countenance, he asked, "Are you sick?" And one of the things upon the king's heart is that. Did you just did you eat is, something? Is, that, <laughs> did you eat something bad? You know, or is everything okay? You know, and and uh, because that's what his job. So he, so you know, it had to be a conscious thing to uh, to mask that, or at least to hide that, or, or at least well to make sure you're projecting a positive right. image and so forth. Uh, I I think it is just uh, I think that that's one of those things that uh, we when we are truly burdened by things, it is not possible to people see it. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's funny how people think you don't see it. People think they hide it, and that, yeah. you know, I, especially our spouses are. I think they constantly think, "What do you?" When you say Is something wrong, and they're like, "What? Do you, why would you ask that? Why would you think something's <laughs> wrong?" It's like. Because I live with you, twenty four seven. It's like right. I know when your countenance changes. I'm very familiar <laughs> with that. This is not how you normally are. And they, and then you know, I love it when they try to deny that. Oh, you're completely wrong. How would you possibly know that? <laughs> I've done such a good job of, of hiding it, masking it. Uh, but uh, we are, we, but we are, we can't see ourselves, you know. And it's, and then when you try to fake it, then it's obviously you're trying to fake it. But yeah, um, I also was drawn to that in, in Nehemiah chapter two, uh, where he. Where it says Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite uh, official, and and Geshem who jumps in on the bandwagon here, uh, the Arab heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, "What is this thing that you are doing? Will you rebel against the king?" So I answered them and said to them, "The God of heaven himself will prosper us. Therefore, we as servants will arise and build. But you have no heritage or right or memorial in Jerusalem." And through the entire process. Nehemiah is very careful not to ask, uh, not to uh, not to give to the king or make the king think that God is not going to take care of this or provide for this. He even said, you know, there's there's like a little bit of him like I want to be careful here not to make you think that um, I'm going to need protection. You know, because if I say I need protection, then you're going to say, well, where where is this God of yours? So he's kind of gone out on a limb here. And and so he has people that are coming against him that are <clears throat> these are people who have come in uh, far be it for anybody to dispute the land of Israel uh, but uh, <laughs> that territory was a shocker uh, has been disputed contested. for some time yeah. <laughs> and contested for some time right. and, and so you have people who have kind of moved back in and taken this and and people who they had historically cast out uh, have kind of moved in and. He had letters from the king saying that I have every right to be here. We ever, but but his response doesn't invoke that. His response is not that the king of Persia gives us every right to be here. His response is God has told us that this this is what yeah. God has said and decreed. Hmm. And he's it's like he's going to stick with that. And it, that is such a tough thing to do. Uh, it kind of takes us this weird moment we have with Paul. Um, where Paul invokes uh, Caesar, which is so uncharacteristic of Paul uh, to do, you know, that I appeal to Caesar or whatever, and he has his own reasons for doing it. So it's not saying it's always wrong to do that, because uh, it is done. But there, it, there does need to be a, uh, we are sending a message to the world when we say the reason I'm here and I have a legal right to be here or the government gives me the authority to do this, we are giving, we are saying the Authority of the mm-hmm. government is what our is right. is higher or the most important factor in this thing. 
when really it needs to be, oh, no, this is what God says. And I, and I think that, uh, you know, things that we've been talking about off mic, uh, the, uh, the challenges within the church and people thinking this should be this way or this should be that way, there, there are things that people bring up, and you have to be very careful with this to say, uh, well, the reason we're doing it is this, and it's not a biblical reason. It's just a, a reason that we're going to argue about, and because they're going to think their reason's better. But sometimes it's like, and you know, you and you and you have the card in your hand because yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, this this is a biblical reason, mm. and and you are taking an unbiblical response. Right. It makes you almost like this is not going to go well. Yeah. Because you sh- rarely do people go, oh, I'm so glad you highlighted the error of my life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much thank for you. enlightening me with yeah, the biblical yeah. response. Uh, so you have to handle that very carefully, but but it is where you put your feet in and it's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to stand this ground and I'm not going to back up. Yeah. And yeah. it's like you you pull the word out and you can either we are going to be people who follow the word or we're not people who follow the word. Spiritual yeah. draw for. Yeah. And, and in this case, these are men who do not follow the word. Yeah. And so it's mm-hmm. like, uh, so we're going to we're going to take our stand on the word. You're not taking your stand on the word and we're going to let God sort it out. Yeah. I wonder, do you think, like, the way that Paul and Nehemiah and them treat governing authority is Mm kind of like, you know, it seems like throughout, we've been reading through Acts, and obviously now we've been through Ezra and Nehemiah, and it's like, we're going to plead with you on the spiritual basis first, because that's what we want you to get, but Mm -hmm. if I need to draw in the national laws that will... Uh, whatever compel you to act a certain way or to not kill me, yeah. then I will do that. But it's kind of like I'm going to keep that on the shelf just in case you're not listening. Well, you know, Jesus said that if we have a dispute with our neighbor, that we should um, recon- reconcile whatever the dispute is before we take it before a judge mm-hmm. or whatever. Because mm-hmm. once we take it before a judge, then we are, you know, and it's, it's going to be what it's yeah. going to be, and and it's not necessarily going to be righteous or whatever. And, and it's not the way God means. Definitely not the way disputes are to be handled within the church, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I think Paul, you know, when Paul appeals to Caesar, I think that that I think that has to be the exception, not the rule. Mm-hmm. I think Paul appealing to Caesar is is more of a this is just what he felt compelled to do by the Spirit in order to get where God wanted him to be. Mm-hmm. It actually bears itself out in the Scripture because it says. If he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he would have been released. Right. But I don't think that was the goal. The goal was not to be released. The goal was to go wherever that would take him. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so it was actually, uh, it's kind of like Jesus and Pilate. It's not that Jesus uh, was never trying to appeal to Pilate and not trying to say he never gave him power. And uh, and just fully recognizing, uh, Pilate, you think that you are, that I need to have a discussion with you to kind of debate, but it's like, but you were a pawn in the hand of God, right? And you were just, and and that's really, I think, where Paul was. It's like, I'm really actually just using Caesar as a pawn <laughs> to to accomplish that which God has ordained to, to occur, and that is the way we need to view it. That it is God who is over all these authorities. That it is not going to be through their strength or power, uh, because uh, if you, we never want to get into a mindset of, oh wait, I tried praying, that didn't work, so let me try this government reaction and see if that gets me what I need. Um, that's not what's going to happen at all. It's always, God's going to do what God's going to do. What mechanism does he see fit to use during this period of time so that he gets the glory for it? And I and I think we, we need to be real careful about 
our heart in that in that particular predicament because our heart is going to be revealed in whatever we lean to or jump to at any particular moment. Um, because in, in our heart, we're, we're already believing one thing's going to work and another thing's not. And, and either we believe God's going to do it, and God knows our heart. He's going to do it in such a way that reveals what we're really putting our trust in, where, we're, where our faith really is. If our faith is not in him, then he's going to expose that that thing is not going to give us the relief we're looking for. Cool. Cycling them over, cycling back. Yeah. Well, I am in uh, Romans 1, which, fun fact, this is my absolute favorite chapter in Romans. Um, I always, always, always go back to it. I don't is know Romans why. your favorite book in the Bible? No. Okay. I was going to ask if this is your favorite <laughs> chapter in the Bible. No, yeah, this is my favorite chapter in Romans. Um, but, yeah, so um, in case you didn't read it, Romans 1... Um, verses like 16 through the end of the chapter is this incredible description of sin. Um, very detailed, very deep, very um, crazy understanding of humanity and what it looks like to live in the world um, and why that why sin is so destructive uh, and why God even allows sin to happen. Um, it's really, really awesome. And um, the thing I just, it really stuck out to me again for a reading it again and again is Romans 1 32 and it says though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them Ugh. and it's very very crazy I mean deserve to die that's a very very um just crazy thing to even think about um they they know that God says that if they practice these things, they will die. And not only do those people practice them, but that they uh, approve of people doing it. I think that so many Christians um, in this understanding of even progressive theology or even just Christians in general um, who you know, are not continually reading the Bible, not in the Word or whatever it may be, yeah. they've just been lulled to sleep and say, hey, this is okay. This is okay. We can approve this. Like, do they love God? Well, then great. So their understanding of love's all wrong. Like, there's just so many things. They're so comfortable, so okay with sin. And now we see they're applauding sin. And I feel like, man, that is just people pleasing at its finest. And I see Christians, I've been that Christian before who has just applauded that and just let it slide or whatever it may be, or even just been okay with it. And um, when I think about that, when I think at where our world's at, and um, you just see the internet and people in general saying be gay and, and these are christians be gay and proud accept and love people and because that's what god calls us to he sat with the sinners sure. and it's like right yeah he did but if you keep reading it says he was doctors go to yeah. you know the sick or whatever it may be but i just think it's crazy because in our world today we've uh, blurred the line between acceptance and love yeah. and those are two different things we can still love someone and not accept what they do or right. approve what they do or lift on a pedestal what they do and, and i just think it's crazy and i love verse 32 because it reminds me i cannot approve applaud or do anything that is sinful like i cannot right. give that and say it's okay to do this because then i'm in sin too <laughs> which right. is really crazy well the the idea of love has uh and when people when people look at the church and say how could you take how could you want to keep a person from loving mm -hmm. another person and when when someone loves someone what would why would you seek to deny them that love relationship mm -hmm. and 
we are, uh, and that and that is the the platform of it. And yeah. the church response is, uh, in the progressive church especially, uh, is, wow, you're right. Yeah. We we have been. These people have a beautiful love relationship, and mm-hmm. we're trying to hinder it. And so, and, and and what has happened is we went from this God exists for my personal pleasure and mm-hmm. happiness. And so if he wants us to have our personal, and that's the way we view heaven, mm-hmm. that's the way we view everything. Yeah. We think about it, that we're drawn to heaven uh, because we're not as happy as we need to be here. God is, there's, after we die, we're hoping for a place where we can finally be happy. Mm-hmm. And so why would we not already get the jump on that? If this is what yeah. makes me happy here, then these things obviously would be right, and then I get to enjoy these things for all mm-hmm. eternity. We're, the whole premise is wrong yeah. because we don't exist right. to for our own personal happiness. Mm-hmm. We exist to serve a king. And we were created for his glory. It, the world was created for him and for right. his pleasure. And when people hear that, it it will draw one of two responses. <laughs> Either they'll go, yeah, I, I'm, he is worthy of that. Yeah. Or they'll say, nobody's worthy of that. Yeah. You know, I'm not here to serve somebody else. Mm-hmm. I'm not here to be somebody else's pawn or serve. Or, and it's like, and when that response is drawn to you, that's, the response of a heart that is hardened against God, and you are the enemy of God, and and and, and they don't want to say that, yeah. but it's like, well, no, my God isn't like that, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, right, right. <laughs> your yeah. God isn't like that. <laughs> so we do agree. Uh, <laughs> so, so we're all on the same page now. There, you've got a God that you've created, mm-hmm. which is what people have done for all time, and we we read the Bible and we see the differences yeah. in the people of God and everybody else in the world. Just we have a hard time believing that the God that I'm after is not the God mm-hmm. of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that the God I'm pursuing is the false God or the mm-hmm. what we would yeah. say is the false God, and you're believing that's the real God. Yeah. It, it's not like in the Old Testament, everybody's going, no, we believe in false gods. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> not right. not right. like the Romans were going, oh yeah, all of our gods are false, but yeah. we believe in false gods and mm-hmm. pagan gods. They, right. they didn't call themselves pagan. They called themselves, yeah. they called the church pagan. They mm-hmm. The... Uh, the church, uh, the early followers of the church were not persecuted because of their belief in Christ. They were persecuted because they were atheists, mm-hmm. according to the Romans. Right. Because it's like, you don't believe in our God. You don't put faith in our God. You don't trust in our God. You don't believe our gods are real. Mm-hmm. You're atheist. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to punish you for this. You're not worshiping, you know, the goddess, goddess Athena or whoever. And and so it's like, so that's why they're, and, and we, we move forward to today and it's like, that's exactly the yeah. same thing we're going to be punished mm-hmm. for today. We do not believe in your understanding of love, your understanding right. of God, your understanding of every, we, everything we believe is revealed to us uh, through the word of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and their descendants, and ultimately in Christ. Uh, and they don't. Uh, and if you don't agree with it, well, then obviously, then we don't agree. Yeah. But that's where my faith and allegiance is not to you. Right. It's not to your concept of love. It's not to your concept of peace. It's not to your concept of how the world should work. I am loyal and faithful to a God who's revealed to me, and He has revealed that I am not allowed mm-hmm. to uh, have a to have sexual feelings or whatever for a person of the same gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, he reveals that we are of different genders, that he creates male and female. He revealed that he would rather me not have any type of sexual relationship mm-hmm. at all uh, to be attached in that way. But if I am 
not wired such that I can do without, then I can have a single monogamous relationship with a person who is an opposite gender and primarily for the purpose of reproduction, but not necessarily. And, but we, but he, I (laughs) mean, he, he spells it out very clearly and to try to go into that and try to restructure it is to be God yourself. I'm can't, I don't, I didn't write it. I didn't make up what he, I'm just reading what he Mm -hmm. shows me. And he is, it's like, uh, like my parents, like my parents, like my parents, yeah, that's true. My parents did this to me. I did it to my own children. I say, here's what I want you to do. And when my children come back to me and say, I know you said this is what you wanted me to do, but hear, hear me out. <laughs> this is what I think is so much better. I don't go, wow, thank you for yeah. rethinking everything I just told mm-hmm. you and coming up with something much better. I'm not, you know, I'm not, they may be right even, but even at that, I'm like, but I still told you to do it this way. I'm more honored when you just simply obey me. You could have, you know, you can say, would you rethink this? And I'm I'm flawed, but God is not flawed. Mm-hmm. So I don't have any ability to not rethink. Like room for that yeah, there, there's no yeah. room for it whatsoever. So uh so yeah, that's uh that's the uh, that that is the Romans chapter 1 gives us this idea yeah. that God says really if you think about it, right. we all know the answer to this and you are trying to twist this, manipulate mm-hmm. this to make it and you're going even against the natural order. And that's what's happening right now. Well, and people get so defensive about it because, yeah. Yeah. verse 18, who by their unrighteousness suppressed the truth, keep going down. Verse 22, claiming to, wise, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And it's yeah. like, that's, I mean, everything, If we, as we look at sin, as we look at sin in our own lives as well, like, this is us. <laughs> like, we're, this is we us. We are massively suppressing yeah. it. And, and the crazy. only reason we are able to massively suppress it is because we are enjoying a time of prosperity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If we were not enjoying a time of prosperity, these conversations would never be right. taking place. Yeah. Right. So guess what God's solution is? He takes away <laughs> takes the prosperity. Away prosperity. Yeah. 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 You guys ever try to, like, you guys ever have these these kind of conversations we're talking about right now, do you ever have them like just in your head with another person who doesn't necessarily have a face or a name? You're just <laughs> yeah. having yes. these conversations. Oh, I have them all the time. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm having them because I'm practicing, right? I'm trying mm, to yeah. like prepare my argument. I think that's mm-hmm. a biblical concept, but, um, but it's so hard because the whole, it's, a, it's like speaking two languages. You're starting from yeah. two, not only completely yeah. different places, but you have a completely different definition of terms. Right. Oh so it's gosh, so hard to kind yeah. of... Pers- I've seen... And this is this leads right into, uh, you know, spectacularly, uh, into what I was what I was getting from Acts 26 when uh, Paul is, um, is reasoning with Agrippa, and um, Agrippa finally gets to this point where he's like, are you, are you, are you going to try to convince me to be a Christian just that easily? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Paul and Agrippa are, are, are having this conversation. You know, Agrippa, Rome, I don't know if you're familiar with Rome's culture, but... Like you said, there's there's no way Agrippa is signing on to be a Christian just based on this one conversation right. with Paul, right? Because there's so much else mm-hmm. in Agrippa's life that is contrary to the gospel that Paul is presenting. And it's not only his uh, mindset, however old Agrippa is, he's grown up with that many years of pre-existing context mm-hmm. that cannot just be overshadowed with mm-hmm. one conversation. There is um, a lot of social and political pressure to to behave and believe in a certain way. And we, we approach people with this who have all this and we expect and we hope that in one well-placed, well-worded conversation with us, Mm -hmm. that they will change everything that they've been led to believe. And we do that. And we're surprised sometimes when it just doesn't happen that way. And, and I think what that, 
should do for us and what I think it did for Paul. Um, Paul probably already knew this. I give him a lot of credit, but um, it's it, we realize that only it's only only through the power of the Holy Spirit does somebody's heart and mind change. Yeah. Because with so much other stuff stacked against yeah. our conversation, including the reputation of the church, right, that has mm-hmm. been dragged through the mud, um, any message coming from the church is going to be extremely met with extreme skepticism. And with all of that going against the message of the gospel, it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that someone's heart changes. So we need to be faithful and prepared with, for those conversations and have yeah. that those things in place. But our argument alone is not ever going to be sufficient. Um, I applaud people who are all about apologetics. I yeah. applaud excellent speakers. Um, but it's that's just not enough yeah. to change someone's heart and mind. Not anymore. You, well, you have Agrippa is bent that direction already. Yeah. I mean, and so is, and is curious about it. Uh-huh. And Paul. Paul himself. <laughs> could not change it. Could not do it. He said, right. you think this is going to be easy for you? Well, it could have been easy. He was already just about there. But but we just can't do it. Yeah. There's no there's no working on people's hearts yeah. outside of the power of the Holy Spirit. And we need to rest in that confidence, but also use it as confidence to actually mm-hmm. speak up and say something. Yeah. Don't give up because we're um, afraid that they're going to have a better argument than us. Well, Honestly, they probably will have a better argument than us if we're fighting on their battlefield, right? It's right. you have to trust the power of the Holy Spirit and then just speak. Yeah. Let the power of that carry something you. that stood out to me in that too with Agrippa and Festus was that they that in that small context, in you know, with nobody around hardly, not in a group. I mean, because it's like you have these people who are imprisoning Paul, beating him, you know, and getting so crazy, riled up. Uh, over the things he's saying, but in this context, uh, everybody's like listening and open to it. And you see that you see like Nicodemus with Jesus, you know, in this in these private moments, nobody really thinks what Jesus is saying is bad, mm-hmm. you know. And even all the things we were talking about, mm-hmm. it's like if if you pull that person who's like you know who thinks the church is anti-gay and all mm-hmm. these different things but if we're having that conversation in a group of two or three mm-hmm. they're not militant in those moments no. it's like they're like yeah i can see what you're saying and so yeah. forth and uh and i, lo- I always love because uh when they have conversations like yeah but you won't think this and you won't think that and it's like no no we don't actually yeah. think that at all <laughs> yeah. it's, like, it's like really you don't think that mm-hmm. and it's like a it's like this congenial but when the mob gets together yeah. you know and usually it's a person who has an agenda of hatred who is fueling mm-hmm. uh, fanning the flames and trying and that misinformation it, every time you look at the new testament there's always somebody who's who's back behind the scenes trying to spreading lies and twisting things around saying, oh, they're going to do this, or you know, he's trying to tear down the temple and all these different things. And it's like, yeah, that's way out of context. Yeah. But that, whether it's the press or whoever, somebody is still, well, it's the enemy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's well, yeah. Satan himself yeah. working, finding a, a willing heart uh, in the church. I see it happen all the time. Yeah. Uh, every problem that's ever come up against me has never been real. It's always been, I mean, thank God, but the, yeah, the yeah. Uh, but it's always been somebody who's had to, who's not liked one thing I'm doing that's mm-hmm. kind of stepped on their territory. So they had to inflate other things to to make it seem like there was something really serious going on. But when you pull that person aside, and I, and I try to do this, I'm like, when somebody comes to me, I'm like, get them on the phone right now. Let's mm-hmm. talk to her right Let's now. Talk, it's right. like, hey, did you say this? Is this what you really meant? And, and it's always like, blah, 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 blah. And, right. and, uh, and it's not quite that, but... Uh, but here, but you had, you know, it's kind of, so it reminds you of that power of of those 
not dealing with the mob, you know, not trying to respond to a group of people who are shouting and screaming, <laughs> but trying to get people in that one-on-one conversations. And Paul was, you know, who knows what happened after that? Yeah. Well, my, my last thing comes actually from Romans chapter 2. I wanted to uh, uh, kind of – Romans 1 is awesome, but Romans 2 – Romans is just cool. So how can you not take advantage of all we can get in Romans? But it <laughs> says um, – Paul says, instead you are called a Jew and rest on the law and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent but instructed out of the law and are confident – that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Uh, and so Paul takes this stance of saying, uh, he's trying to appeal to the, the Jews in Rome, and saying, you all have, you are teachers of the law. You've been entrusted with making people understand what really is uh, going on here based on their religious practice. He's trying to, he's building a case for this justification by faith alone. And uh, and one of the things that they would practice was circumcision. And he makes the case later that he's like, look, circumcision doesn't make a person faithful. Mm-hmm. It doesn't do it. It's, it's, yeah. it's a practice. Abraham had righteousness and God recognized his righteousness based on the faith that he had, and then introduced circumcision to him as a sign or a symbol of his faith or righteousness that he possessed. In the same way, baptism is like that for us. We have baptism and so forth. And so when but when people are like, I've got to get baptized in order to be saved, and then we'll say something theologically like, oh, well, baptism doesn't save you. It's like, yeah, 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 whatever. Uh, and so, but I've still got to get baptized in order to be saved. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but it's like, so it's like uh, they're trying to learn to write words to say, trying to trying to phrase things in the correct manner. And here, are the th- and we we have a set institutionalized uh, way of handling things. And these are the things we've been teaching, and these things we've been training. But we lose sight. We mm-hmm. become good at being Christian right. as we define Christianity, but we fail to realize what even we are doing in the process, mm-hmm. that it is literally we are just simply following Christ and 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 the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And, and people are like, just tell me what to do, and I will do it. And, and that's like, that's exactly right. You can't do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Somebody, you can't do anything to save yourself, so you have to be changed by Christ and made new. Now, being being made new, he will show you what to do in that relationship and then you will be obedient. And and it never fails. He highlights things that I mean, it's the rich young ruler over and over and over again. Jesus comes into each of our lives and he says, Oh, yeah, you're doing great. It's almost like mm-hmm. pat on the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You are so good at reading the Bible. You're so good at going to Sunday school. You're so good at attending church. Mm-hmm. You're amazing. Okay, but there is one thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's let's you know that neighbor that you really hate. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you to go over there and apologize to them for the way you treated them last week. And and it's like whoa 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 wait, wait a second. That's not what I'm gonna mm-hmm. do. And uh, and and he always puts his finger on something. And when you get angry. It's almost always mm-hmm. because it's like that. It's revealing. Ah, so you do have an idol in mm-hmm. your life. There is something that you don't want to give. A, what causes conflicts is an yeah. idea of warring passions inside yourself. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like 
how dare you touch that spot in me or whatever. It's like, you know, it's like when you preach a message, not that this has ever happened, I'm speaking for a friend, <laughs> about how you shouldn't have a, you know, how real Christians don't have a favorite chair. And then you go home and your children go, so dad, if it's not your favorite chair, I guess I can sit in it. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, well, you get in my chair, I'll break your neck, you know, whatever. I'll show you, go to your room, you know, because you guys, that's whatever, blah, 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 anger, anger, hostility, idle chair. Uh, so it's like, but it's like the, but that's what happens to all of us. And we all have things that we like. We, we talked about this. Every church I've ever pastored, I have a good friend who have been in ministry with for a long time and, um, and he, we always joke about how we, we're like, we love, we love to get people out of their box. And it's like, uh, we always, it's always nice to, you can always identify somebody's box. And so you're like, Jesus is trying to get you out of your box. And we can say, there's, that's your box. You're getting uncomfortable, whatever. And then all of a sudden you discover you have a box uh, <laughs> and right. God's like, I'm going to stretch you past this. It's like, wait hey. a second. I don't want to do that. My box uh, is a good one. <laughs> that's right. My box is the right. I've yeah, got the I'm right the parameters. Right I have the whole that's right. box. It's like, so it's like being stretched and people are like, what about, can we do this? And it's like, and you go to the word and it's like, oh, wow, I don't see anything in the Bible that allows me to defend my own position. <laughs> right. And, uh, and, and it's a, it's a tough place to be, but we, uh, but Paul is just trying to demonstrate that we are, uh, you know, the Jewish people had all these traditions and so forth and that they held true to. And he's trying to say, really, I mean, none of this is what this is about, what we're mm -hmm. about. Yeah. And to strip down our faith, I mean, just take the buildings we have and that we've constructed. And when people get really, uh, you know, we always talk about joking about arguing over the color of carpet or carpet. I remember being in a church uh, and we were picking carpet. We had four colors to choose from because it's all we could afford. And we had a lady that was standing there and I said, just pick one. And she's like, wait a second. I said, no, just pick it. I said, because I don't want to be in a church that's going to argue or has to vote on the color of carpet because it's so irrelevant. Right. Yeah. I said, you pick the one that works best. And she did. And I said, okay, now we have to put you in the witness protection program. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Here, your name has to be yeah. stricken. Nobody can ever speak of this. Whoever yeah. said it, it just has to, the carpet's got to happen. Uh -huh. And it's going to discover. And sure, we got lots of complaints. So who picked this carpet? You know, why they picked this color or whatever and so forth. And it was like, but those were the choices she had. Mm -hmm. There's so many, you know, five years later, you know, yeah, we could have afforded a better carpet, but we couldn't then. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we, and so she made the best choice that we could be made at that particular time. And it was done. And it's like, if you're worried about the carpet, here's, and here's the thing that really just comes over and over to us. Uh, I, I always hear the expression I hear in my head is from, from Max Lucado, who gives this amazing camping story in one of his stories and says how they weren't able to fish and everybody's socks started to smell and they hated the games they were playing and your annoying laugh and all these different things. And he said, you know, and he made the statement, when fishermen don't fish, they fight. Hmm. And I thought, Every church conflict I've ever been in, I, I just want to look back at the person and going, so how's the gospel presentation business going? Right. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it's yeah. like, so are you really, is this what we're talking about? Mm -hmm. You're having trouble sharing the gospel with others and somebody's keeping you from doing that and you need me to intervene. It's like that never, ha that has never, never happened. Never. That is never the case. When we are, when we are preoccupied with problems or issues within the church, it is almost always because we are not on task doing what it is God has put us here to do. So, it's a good word. Good word for all of us. All right. Uh, we're going to take a break. Come back with a couple questions. We'll be back.
All right, we are back. This is the question and answer segment. We've got some good ones. Josh, take it away. Yes, I have two questions. Um, and one of them, they're not really about verses. They're just kind of like overall, I'm confused kind of things. And this mm-hmm. first one comes from Acts, the end of Acts, Acts 28. And it just ends. And it's like, okay, so. are just done. <laughs> That's yeah. it? Okay. Well, cliffhanger there, yeah. Holy Spirit. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, and and here's the thing. And that's why we, we, we've talked about this before, about the Acts 29 movement mm-hmm. is really uh, about uh, the church continuing on with the book of Acts and so forth. And that's not a new concept that's been mm-hmm. around for quite some time, that we that we are still writing the book of Acts. Um Truly, though, uh, Luke is writing Acts. You have to think of it in terms of he is writing an account, and at some point he is going to send that letter. <laughs> and so it got to the point where that was he got everything down that he this had. This is what's happened up to current day. This is what's happened up to current day. And also there is a a point to it, and we've mentioned this before too, that and when in Acts one eight when he starts that this that the Holy Spirit has come and is going to go out into Jerusalem Judea Samaria and to the uh, to the outermost parts of the earth, it follows that progression of that story and so now you have Paul in Rome, uh, still uh, the the message still going out and so forth so it has accomplished it is, it shows that what Jesus said would happen has happened and it is out to the outermost parts of the earth. Uh, another thought is that if Paul, a lot of people believe that Paul was probably executed just a few weeks after mm-hmm. Acts was finished, uh, and uh, and so probably didn't want to put that in there. You know, <laughs> and, and then he died. And then he died. So you should be a Christian, Paul Theophilus. You're next. But no, it's it's more of a that it's really not a story of Paul. It's not the story. It's the story of the movement yeah. of the church and moving to different places. So. Uh, here comes the, that missionary journey. It's like here, here are these missionary journeys, and this one's kind of this is the end of it. Yeah. Um, so, but that's that's the main thing that it is Luke who's writing it, and it wasn't one of those things to be. It's not like Frodo uh, getting uh, you know Bilbo passing it on to Frodo to continue on, and and then being on the Sam. You you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, you've <laughs> seen that movie. You've seen yeah. it, Josh, haven't you? They're poking fun because uh, I haven't seen any movie. Ever. You've read the book though, right? You've read it. <laughs> Obviously, oh, so you're, you're very familiar with it. The books are longer than the movies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Cool. Okay, my next question, um, and I didn't, I never realized this until someone pointed it out to me, but the Book of Esther doesn't mention God ever like, once. Yeah. And so my question is, why is it in the Bible? And, and by the way, question. let me just say, I love the Book of Esther. Like I, I absolutely I love it, and like helps me with like faith. Like it's a really great book. But yeah. <laughs> someone pointed out to me when I was, you know, in Bible classes, and I was like. Oh, yeah. Okay, so why is it in there? And and at, along that, those lines, because I have I've had that same question, but mm-hmm. now I I, I want to like, because there are other Semitic works that do reference God quite a bit, mm-hmm. that are even referenced by the other parts of the Bible. Why Esther and not these other things? Yeah, Esther has one of the feasts included in it in its origin. And so for Jewish tradition, it was super important to include, here's how this oh, came to be. Okay. Uh, but uh, one, of the, one of the theories is that when Mordecai was writing it, he is in uh, the Persian kingdom. In order for the book to be circulated amongst the Jewish people without, uh, you'll notice it, it makes the king look really good. Mm. And so in order for it to be circulated without some type of hindrance that it would have purposefully just showed the sovereignty of God. 
But from a God perspective, it really just shows his providence mm-hmm. working yeah. through it. I mean, the fact that we all read it and hear his name and see his work without his name ever being yeah. mentioned is pretty amazing. Wow. And, uh, and so you, you that. have that in the back of your mind. So <laughs> it just kind of shows that. It did, it did have, of course, it does make one wonder, should this be included in the canon, you know, so forth, because it doesn't mention God. But again, it's so strongly about his people. It does involve this incredible act of God's goodness. There are no miracles in it. There are no, there are no yeah. supernatural occurrences that take place. So it really is a very pragmatic book as far as understanding this is really how the world in which we live, yeah. that God reveals himself. You're, you're getting as close to the world's point of view of God working mm-hmm. That you can get uh, without actually being God, you know, being yeah. from it's the world. It's super interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, it's an incredible story, and it ties up so many things that we'll talk yeah. about in in the next podcast because we're we're just starting Esther this week. But the uh, but with how God reconciles sins of Saul and mm-hmm. and so forth, and and then comes forth and and accomplishes these things. But uh, but yeah, it's it. It fits nicely with Ezra, Nehemiah, and then yeah. and here here's this thing that happens in their history and so forth, and that's pregnant with meaning. But it's but it's uh, yeah, I mean ultimately we don't. Um, I mean obviously nobody. We think Mordecai wrote it. Don't know who wrote mm-hmm. it, but but it's the idea is that um, that's the that's, that's a good theory. Anyway. Yeah. We don't. I mean theories are theories, but um, mm. but that's that's a, a good theory. That's really cool. Cool. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. Thank you guys for meeting up with us and and podcasting Uh, thank you listeners for you know being awesome and we will catch you guys later on understanding jesus thanks again for listening to the understanding jesus podcast if you would like more information on understanding jesus or first baptist church of jackson or would just like to submit a question or comment then you can call the church office at 573-243-8415 or you can email us at office at fbcj.us thanks so much we'll see you soon